Hello. Hello. Industry. Industry. Hi everybody. Friendly Rich here. Welcome back to the podcast. I hope you had a nice week. And I'm delighted to introduce my 139th guest. We get into his rich career as a professor at York University, an improviser, a great improviser and recording artist. My chat with Mr. Casey Sokol, 139 episodes. That is, um, yeah, he kind of, we start out just asking why, why the hell? Why am I doing this? I'm not sure if I answered it. I'm not sure if I need to. Um, it is a joy. It is a joy. That's the answer. That's the short answer. So here it is, episode 139. We're going to queue up the Egg Circus theme. Thank you for your listenership and support. A delightful chat with a brilliant mind, Mr. Casey Sokol. podcast today is none other than Mr. Casey Sokol. Welcome to Industry Tactics, and thank you for being here. Hey, am I too far away from the camera? I got a very small head. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, it's it's uh, it's the camera for, for our ears, so no, I, th- I think you're doing just right, and you sound great. Um, I was just saying before before we started recording, like, you you asked the the apt question, why the hell are you doing this? I mean, you see value in it, but yes, it, it, it is a, a, a lot of work to, 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 to do this kind of thing, and I think my short answer to you was that I really enjoy... It started off as a joke, like I was kind of poking fun in a way of like the music industry. It's not called industry tactics because I actually care about, um, you know, I, I initially was joking about like how to wrap a, you know, a quarter inch cable, like, you know, making fun of programs like that I've gone to, like the Harris Institute for the Arts as example. But my love of this is really connecting the dots and it's no mistake that I'm interviewing you today because I'm, I mean, I really feel honored and uh, we connected again over the Guelph at the Guelph jazz festival last month, but long and short, it's it, you, you are connected to episode. I just went through the list episode 129, most recently, Lisa Conway, episode 71, D Alex Meeks, episode 19, Bob Wiseman. When we start talking about the idea of, archiving and making playlists of these interviews this is a journey right and your influence on so many both peers from like the matt brubeck's the scott thompson's the john oswald's the gordon monahan's that i've interviewed on this podcast 
to those you've taught and left your, that's what I'm really interested in, in, in understanding. What the hell is in the Casey Sokol water that you are, you are, you're changing people's lives. And I, I'm really interested in trying to find out from the source what's in the Casey Sokol water. As in a, a new kind of Kool-Aid, you mean, or something? Something. Well, um, I I really appreciate, and I think this may also be why you're doing these interviews, but I really appreciate the, the um, not so much the disparity, but the, the, the um, well, you know, you see somebody and they they look like this or they look like that. But to find out what's going on in there is so interesting. And I think that's what your your interviews are. Um, they, they must be about that for you, like what the question you just asked me. And I feel like that about students, like mm-hmm. what's in there? Mm-hmm. So I've never approached, even though, you know, I didn't have any real teaching experience to bring uh, before getting hired at York. But I had some instinct, instincts about it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I never felt like the role of a teacher is to pile on a whole lot of information, even though I do give a ton of exercises and, you know, all that. Uh, um, but it's more like education really arises from the word educe. Mm-hmm. Okay. So what the teacher should be doing, in my opinion, is educing or drawing out from the student their native musical smarts and that might also uh, represent specific kinds of content that are you know rhythms that are going on in them since they were a two-year-old you know that they used to bang on the seat in their parents car and things that so um you know i look at people and sometimes they're like they're musically dull or they don't really have anything to display and I'm interested in sort of going in there and saying, oh, is that really so? Or maybe there's something you don't even know about. And that's tremendously exciting. And you, you taught at York for how, how many years in total was it? Because I know you well, just I, finished a couple of years ago. Yeah, I retired, but I'm still actually, I still have some master's and PhD students. So You do, you're emeritus. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, since 71. So that's whoa, whoa, 50 whoa. years. 50 years, what a legacy. And when I think about, like, just, you know, it it just kept coming up and coming up. You've really etched out, I think, um, just a a language, a different approach. Like, you've been doing your thing. You've been figuring it out over there at York, you know, quietly or not so quietly, maybe noisily. You know, it's just, it's, it's this... I, I just, it's its no mistake. I think you've kind of figured out a different way in, 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 a, in a sense of getting to the core of students finding their voices through the work that you're doing, I think. I think yeah. it, it it seems natural, as I said, like if I take a D. Alex Meeks versus, or not versus, but, you know, in contrast to a Lisa Conway or, or a Bob Wiseman, those are three very different artists. So, like, 
they all cite you as a as a, as a big influence in terms of helping un, un unravel that that part of themselves. You know, it's it's fascinating to me. I can't imagine what that's been like from your perspective to see so many students become a part of a musical community. Well, one thing I wanted to ask you, did you uh, read any of uh, the, the new website that I'm putting together? I, I did. I did. Yeah, so yes, that, uh, that meeting that I, I wrote about with mm-hmm. one of my colleagues from across the hallway, Bob Whitmer, mm-hmm. you know, I was a total newbie. I was doing good classes, but I had no end game. Like I didn't know how far am I supposed to get in uh, eight months, uh, which was uh, the two semester year that I was engaged for. And I asked this guy, I said, well, what do you, how do you approach a class? Not a history class or anything specific, but what's your aim when you walk into a class? And he said something that really affected my, the rest of my career. He said, he was just kidding. I mean, because he's a, the man of the quip. Mm-hmm. But he said, uh, I, just, uh, I just try to make myself obsolete as quickly as I can. You know, and we both chuckled and I walked into my office and I sat down and I thought, holy fuck, that is a really great formulation. Right. Make myself obsolete, which means give them everything I, I, I can give them, but then in a way so that they don't depend on me. Right, right. And I remember the very first time when I realized that I had to not depend, you know, I had a stack of music in my hand and I was always learning music Mm -hmm. to accompany faculty and students. And, Mm -hmm. and I had this one piece had notation that I never saw before. And I tried to figure it out, but there was no internet. I couldn't, I I didn't know where to go to even find. And finally, I just kind of, as I walked through the steel double doors I pushed him open and I was halfway open and I said, you know, I'll just ask my teacher my lesson. And I froze in that moment. And I said, Oh shit, I am the teacher. (laughs) (laughs) Time warp, time, time warp. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the time when you kind of get, get serious about something, you know, like, I, I, I love the concept and, and many of us, I think in music education might, fear the notion of becoming obsolete in music I, I, I as humans the notion of becoming obsolete that's um, right. for him to hit that on the head and say actually that's the goal is like a real um liberation in a, in a way of just no 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 that's a shedding of ego right there right that's yeah exactly I love it. I love it and for that for those listeners who are interested in going deep, with some of these concepts, go to caseysokol.squarespace.com. Uh, that's that's the website that he was referring to. So this has been like a bit of a pet project for you, I guess, over the last couple of years. To re- it feels like a book when I'm looking through. Is that when I'm looking through some of of your writing, your beautiful writing? I might add, I was just very. It just felt like I wanted to spend more time with it. Actually, like it's. Do, do you see yourself? Um, is is the website the the? Pardon my like I don't I don't mean that in a in a in a weird way, but it is the it, it almost feels like it could be published as a book as well. Yeah, don't yeah. worry about offending yeah. me. Yeah, okay. Quite, okay. I quite like the way you're you're really just very authentic with your interests and expressions. 
Uh, I tried to write a book. I tried about three, four, five times over the years. Okay. And I, I couldn't tolerate the fact that it was going to be page one, and then, then you'd flip the page, and it's page two. Got it. And got that's it. not how you learn something. Right. You know, if you, if you teach something one day, and out of the five things you, 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 you mentioned, and you, you plan to follow up items number one and three in the next class, but some kid comes up to you with a passionate question about right. item number four. Well, you have to yeah. change your plans yeah. because yeah. you go yeah. where the interest is. So many of us uh, don't listen to that. And we'll go, wait a minute, hang, hang tight. I'm on number one. I got to get to number four in a month. And by the time that month comes along, you lost the kid. You lost it. You, you forgot, right? You forgot why you were doing it. It's, right. So if they want to time travel a little bit, I love the way you're thinking of this modularly. It's, it's a modular approach, right? It's you go where the interests are. You kind of co-learning with, with the student. That's right. And and it, it was the, the advent of the hyperlink that finally convinced me that the uh, web would be a much better right, right. Uh, resting place for such a book because it, it wouldn't be a, a final resting place. It could be updated at any time I wanted. Okay. But I've also talked to a number of students and colleagues, you know, friends, mm-hmm. and I can add, I can talk to you right now. And that is if in looking through the website, mm-hmm. you have ideas about why not do this or why, you know, yeah. suggest oh, yeah. this, or this is a criticism, or maybe you have something to add to it. Mm-hmm. Cool. That you wouldn't put on your own website or that I could link to from my website because there's a lot of people who really do love teaching. Yeah. yeah. And I think that there should be a little bit more of a community than we don't really have one for contemporary work. We have ORMTA, the Ontario Registered Music Teachers Association. Right, right. But all of those associations turn into institutionalized, yep. um, formulaic. Yep, or- yep, yep. We box it in. We we box in the knowledge. I feel yeah. like your this website, caseysocal.squarespace.com, feels to me like... Um, yeah, I, I I like the fact that it's it's almost rebellious against the 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 form of a book. It's it's more than a book. It's it's wormholes. It's it's yeah. modular the way you've designed it. And it's you know what I love the most is it's accessible. It's very like I almost thought you know Casey. One of the first thoughts when I was looking through it was, <laughs> holy shit, he's giving this away. Yeah, you know, it was really like, and I like that. Yes, it's. It's there for you. If you're hungry, if you're curious, um, dig in. And it's also uh, what's cool about it is you're right in the, in the idiom that you work, there's not a lot of, there's not enough of it. So um, have you, have you, have, how have you gone about um, sharing it with, like, have you presented it at an Ormta or? No, it's not, it's not really. Uh, OMEA or anything like that? It's not live yet, so to speak. It's it's a beta, I guess. Okay, okay, okay. It's not, I mean, people can go in and poke around, and I, but I haven't advertised it. Okay. I just want a few select people, or sometimes in the middle of a conversation, I'll say, oh, well, go to the website. But I kind of have a little um, okay. agenda there. It's like, I, okay. I, I'd like you specifically, like, you know, you, Richard, or you, uh, you know, I've told about 10, 12 people because I want feedback. Okay. Okay. I want to know if that's good. So there are some pages that are clearly drafts and some pages that are 
complete for what they're going to be. And um, well, congrats! I think it's, it's not beautiful. as much fun as teaching. <laughs> well, I, I think it, actually it's all the all the teaching led you here. And I think yeah. at fifty years of a such a rich um, ride in that in that realm, and I think now you're going okay. Oh, look at that. And, and uh, listeners, gentle listeners, he's holding a York University, not like some bullshit mug. This is a <laughs> copper mug. This is, this looks like I was admiring it the whole time. It looks like one of those mugs, that, like a, a real, like a 50-year mug. He's holding up the 50-year uh, cup. This came, <laughs> this came in the mail yesterday. Oh, really? Oh, this is fresh. Two and a half years after I retired, this little well, <laughs> gigantic the, box you, came in. And, the fifty-year yeah. mug arrived just in time. It, it, it saved you. It saved you. When you look back, I mean, I we can. I think actually a lot of your beautiful stories as to how you became you are are on that are on that site in some of your writings. Um, I'm interested to know from you though, like when you look back on a fifty-year career. Um, uh, and 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 continuing career as a as a as a working musician, um, but as an educator at York, that 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 portion of that phase of your life, um, what stands out? What what really warms your heart? I know you had that event uh, at the music gallery, and so many people would have come out that night. I remember D. Alex Meeks coming. I was coming back from a tour that night, and he said, "I got to get to the uh, music gallery to." To honor Casey, so like, what what stands out in your in your memory, reflecting on those fifty years? Well, I don't think it was my retirement party. I mean, oh. as touch as touching as that was, I've never felt comfortable. And I said something like this at the Guelph mm-hmm. concert, for which my wife scolded me. <laughs> okay, great. Um, I don't like being the star. I don't okay. like being the. Um, in fact, I don't like walking on a stage. Mm, mm. I love having given having given a good concert, okay. but I don't like the um, the prospect of. I don't like to be on display, partly okay. because what I do is pretty intimate. I think, mm-hmm. and um, and also it's not really something that can be easily criticized and survive in the way that it is meant, you know, it's like, Mm -hmm. it's like making love to your girlfriend and she goes, Mm -hmm. well, you know, the first five minutes were really good. (laughs) And then you seem to lose track of, you know, you know, like giving it a good rundown. Right. So it's just, um, so I can't talk after a concert. That was like a really Ah, miserable talk. I remember we spoke that we spoke the day later and you seemed to, you were, you were saying that like, Oh, I I just don't like, and I understand that you almost want to, a moment to decompress or, or right. a long, long period of time to decompress after doing something like that. You're yeah. good at it. And I, I admire that, but it's also because I think your what you do as an artist involves direct communication with the audience. So it's part of your, I wouldn't say training, although it may be something that you actually train for, but it's, it's part of the whole persona. It's, it's, right. it's, it's a demand of your presentation. Whereas even talking in between pieces at a concert is is a bit painful for me, you know. I've tried it many times. Yeah, yeah I've learned to yeah. shut up <laughs> because yeah. uh, it's hard to organize. That. Anyway, in terms of answering your question, the things that, that really stick with me 
mm-hmm, mm-hmm. are the moments of discovery. And they could be discovery on the part of the students, like mm-hmm. somebody standing up in the middle of a class and going, oh, shit, I get it. I get it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you've just, had that. You've had that. Oh, yes. I've had everything. Yeah. And sometimes it's my discovery. Like uh-huh. one of the stories I told there was, I had a brilliant first year musicianship class. They were so responsive. They did their work and, and, but they, they just couldn't shut up in class. They were buzzing, buzzing, buzzing. Anyway, I'll try to make this a really shorter story. They were, they were into it. They were into it. I didn't know what they were, what they were. They just talked all the time. Uh huh. Uh huh. And that distracts me. And I, you know, it's, it, it bothers me because I can hear it. But also I thought, well, why are they not paying attention? Right. Why are they talking? What are they right. saying? Right. So I thought maybe it's me. Maybe I'm too casual because I'm very friendly in class. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. it's nice that friendly is part of your. Yes. Your performance. I try, I try but fail, but you, 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 you nail it. You nail it without the, uh, the moniker. <laughs> so I said, I might, maybe I'm just too casual. Yeah. And there yeah. were many aspects of that, but I just decided one day to, you know, put on a white shirt. Okay. And then the next class, I had three classes a week. The next class, I took off the white shirt and I put something else on, but I put on some nice slacks. Then the next class, I put on a dress shirt with a tie, but hanging out with no tie clip. Then the next class, I put on a sport jacket, but no. Anyway, it, over a period of about three weeks, I did it yes. as subtly as I could. Uh-huh. I dressed up till I was in a three-piece suit. And then the next day, I was in a tux and then over the next three or four weeks, I dressed oh. down, down, down Whoa. until finally I was wearing cutoff jeans with paint smears and running shoes that had paint on them. And I didn't shave for three days. So I was wow. just like them. <laughs> so, you, so you ran the gamut. It's like a spectrum. You're, you're, you're experimenting here. And the, the neater I dressed, the more I looked like a professor, uh-huh. the quieter they were. Oh, weird. And I realized they're intimidated. They didn't, not only didn't they talk to each other, but they didn't even respond to my questions Mm. as freely as they normally do because Mm. they were uptight because I didn't lean on the chalkboard. I didn't, I didn't sit down on a desk. Mm. I stood up straight and Mm. I was the professor. Mm -hmm. And then by the time I was back to normal and beyond, they were back to normal. And I realized, wow, the environment affects things. What an exercise. What so, an exercise yeah. to do that, you know. Uh, how do you how do you feel about the, the the push and pull between, you know, jazz and classical, or we, you know, like that whole it's that's a real thing, right? You talk about just like the the intimidation factor, capital P professor, right? It's like very very staunch, and that whole. How do you? I mean, we're, I I think I know the answer here, but just just from y- y- your career and the way you make music, um, but but how do you feel about that? The way that that plays into education, the influence of something like classical music, and the way we've been, you know, almost militaristically uh, taught that that form of of doing the thing, you know? Yeah. Well, I think discipline is wonderful. I think knowing your scales and your mm-hmm. arm, you know, knowing knowing how to spell things, knowing how to notate things, I think that's uh, it's not it's not de rigueur, but it's really important. Like if you have a good idea and you don't want to forget it, do you know how to write it down? Yeah, right, right. 
Um, and at the same time, the way that is presented in classes is as if it is the tool you need to make music. Like once you know that, right. then you can be creative. And by the time you know all that, the creativity has been, you know, kind of beaten out of you. A lot of jazz players, like jazz students, they want to play creatively. Mm-hmm. But by the time they get to third and fourth year jazz harmony, jazz theory, jazz, 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 they just turn into jazz people. And they don't actually realize that if they were going to follow their their own creative bent, yeah. Yeah. they would have had to stay in touch with it the whole time. Uh-huh. Now, when they try to be creative, they tend to think it's wrong. R- r- right, right. You can't, you can't do that because everybody knows it's wrong and people don't like to be wrong. Plus, every, every jazz department, for example, since you mentioned jazz, tends to have their fourth year contingent of what are sometimes called the jazz Nazis. Okay. <laughs> it's well, not a nice word. Right. But there, there are people um, at every institution right, right. who will make you feel like a fucking idiot. There you because go. Because you're not playing Bill Evans voicings. Right. You're not, you're not swinging properly. Right. 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 And the, just the notion of your fourth year recital and they'd all be speaking of, uh, you know, suits and ties and being there in the back, uh, great grading the thing, you know, I, I would always be like kind of repulsed by that notion or, or it was always fun for me to see like, I remember like reminiscing on ba- bassist um, Dominic Salol, and he did his final recital at U of T Faculty of Music in a gorilla suit. And it's a famous, you know, it's a famous moment for for all of us to be like, "Yes, you're doing it." You're and and I mean, uh, how, how do you grade that at the end? It's like he passed, and he and he got the fuck out of Dodge, right? It's just that that's the. I don't know. I wonder where, like, there's a level of snobbery to the whole thing of being right and wrong in the world of music. But at the same time, I feel it too. And I am always hungry for more knowledge in a sense that those those Bill Evans voicings that you were talking about are super important to knowing the vocabulary, to uh, to pushing your musical voice and, and knowledge. So I kind of sit in between both of it. I don't... I, I, Jazz has always felt equally snobbish as 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 classical in, in many become, ways, right? right? You know, but at the same time, it's like, but all that knowledge is super incredible, right? Like, get as much of it as you can get. Is my opinion on that? Like, right? If you try to write poetry, but you only know five words, yeah, yeah, then you can't say much. And I don't want to reduce it to vocabulary either, because a lot of it has to do with body training. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, it's, it's, in other words, it's also a vocabulary of performance. Mm-hmm. So a lot of jazz players are totally uncomfortable in any meter except four. Even threes can bother them. But if they know a few jazz waltzes, then they become conversant with threes. But fives, sevens, nines, or changing meter, they're very uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Plus, they don't really see the point. Because you can't tap your foot <laughs> mechanically. I mean, let's um, let's cut to some of your music if we can. Let's insert a little something. I'll splice it in later. Can we hear some of your work? Maybe done with um, 
I don't know. What, what, anything come to mind based on our conversations just now? Whoa, I don't know. Um, uh, I think the most obvious thing is pianos that have been altered, because that's what we just heard at the Guelph Festival. Right. I was invited by Whitman to play the uh, bass piano. Mm-hmm. And it reminded me very much of prepared piano. I've done a lot of performances on prepared piano, not only John Cage works and, uh, you know, Robert Crumb and mm-hmm. uh, R- uh, not R. Crumb. Uh, George. George Crumb. <laughs> Robert Crumb, I'd be into that too. Yeah, me too. I just yeah. recently saw Zap Comics, so that's why. Oh, I was yeah. Nice, nice, nice. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, those are interesting only because they thwart mm-hmm. an automatic go to so that you you can't just go to harmony because there basically are no no more right. triads or roots or anything right so i enjoy that i enjoy being in a place where i have to construct an expressive something a form or a continuity independent of those tropes that have existed for you know millennia nice. Nice. You know what I feel like? I feel like you're getting revenge on that after show talk. That, that, <laughs> you, yeah. that was really well put. Uh, here, here comes uh, a piece from Pianos That Have Been Altered, Casey Sokol. Let's, let's play it now.
Awesome. When did you record that, Casey? That was um, uh, that was the opening of the second movement of a solo solo faculty concert at York University. Oh, okay. And that was particularly interesting for me because I had absolutely nothing to play and not a musical vibration in my body or mind. I walked out on stage thinking, Oh my God. Oh man, this could be a complete bomb. Whoa. Whoa. Nothing stirring in me at all. Hang on. So, so you're able to do that. eh? You, you, so what gets a musician to that point? Like, there are a few I've interviewed over the years on this podcast that I know do that. And, and that ain't me. Like I got to have at least a, a framework in which I know I'm going to be able to thrive, to feel yeah. confident enough to go up there. How did you get to that point? Uh, well, I think that's where I started because before I had lessons, I was improvising. And that's one of the reasons that my parents gave me lessons because they they heard that I was able to make music, not just play tunes that I heard on the radio, but constructing new musical phrases and all that. Where that came from, I don't know. It probably comes a bit from being an only child and having to invent my own entertainment. Mm -hmm. Uh, some of the childhood experiences I have that I wrote about mm-hmm. uh, in I, the I, website. I love how you wrote about just like, I'm not so special. I think, I think you kind of framed it that way. It's like, but are all of our musical lives at the same time, y- you're in love with it. You're fascinated by it. Like that, that really comes out, you know, it's um, uh, what I'm getting at though, in the ability to just get up on a stage the way you do, not knowing a damn thing of what's coming not a musical vibration like that you, 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 that you were channeling at that moment, yet you, 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 per, you performed what you performed is uh, uh, the um, confidence level. It's just the, I don't, I'm fascinated by that. Like, yeah, I'm, I'm also fascinated by like musicians, like their, their, um, their difficulties, their struggles in a way of like, some will have, um, what you know, just uh, imposter syndrome, or you know, they they they'll they'll have hangups that they might or they might hide behind. You know, I, I definitely have have that. I'm guilty. Yeah, everybody. We all I do, have, right? I don't yeah. think I've met anybody that isn't nervous <laughs> going out for a performance and that doesn't suffer in some degree from the imposter syndrome. Right. Right. I, I in certain situations I have it very strongly and. One of the researchers, the main researchers of imposter syndrome, mm-hmm. uh, Professor Jill something, I forget, she taught at York. Oh, wow, wow, wow. Uh, and she taught about the, and wrote about the imposter syndrome. Okay. And she she noted that it was most prevalent among university professors. University doesn't help. And university professors, I can only imagine, because you're being judged by the up and coming and, and unless it's true that you do want to make yourself obsolete, you also want to inspire and blow their minds and all of that. So I can only imagine what that feels like, you know? Yeah. Mm, interesting. 
Well, I think that the right kind of fright can be very constructive, right? It's just totally. bald-faced fear. It totally. It usually doesn't do it, but, um, you know, just sometimes you're uh, really ill at ease. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That something has to get done. You channel that energy. The, the anxiety can be channeled. I mean, there's a, there's a fine line between having yeah. to take beta blockers to go on stage because you're so fucked, you know, <laughs> to, to try to get you to a state of actually being able to do it. But there, I, I like that. I like what you're saying about kind of converting that into uh, good energy, if, if, if you will. Right. And I, I don't really know exactly how that happens because, I mean, the truth is, not to use esoteric language, but I don't think I do that. I think the I yeah. who's there when I say I, mm. which is a kind of an ego mm-hmm. unit, a unit of ego, Mm-hmm. I don't think that ego has what I would con- consider creative powers, right? That the ego that has, you know, where I have confidence in myself, mm-hmm. that confidence comes from knowing this and knowing that, which is all about the past, right? When I know stuff, it's stuff that I've learned. So if right, I bank right. on what I already know, yeah, it's yeah. going to be very hard to enter the moment, which is where improvisation has to reside. The the episode I just did recording an interview with from Berlin with uh, with Lena Alamano, episode oh, yeah. one one thirty six. She says I I went in with the Trickster Orchestra, which is a, a new music, always the, yeah. a different uh, cast and crew of musicians. And, um, you know, she said there were members there from the Berlin Philharmonic, et cetera, et cetera, right? Just a a diverse cast and crew. And she she had that moment on stage as she was performing where she realized everything she had done led her to that stage. Like all of that work was a culmination on, on stage that day. And that, that really blows my mind. I think the more we start thinking about, the more you're fascinated by that's it's, I I mean, I'm not going to get spiritual here with you, but it, it, it does feel to me like it's why I'm speaking with you today. It's like, it's no damn mistake. I'm sitting there pre-show in the Guelph square. And we talk about, you know, just wanting a, a, a space, before or after a show, you were like the perfect hang right before I did that thing with the birds, you know, <laughs> you, you, it was beautiful just, just chatting with you, this genuine discussion that we had. And I said, I got to interview you. I mean, you've been on my list for a while. I think I told you that is just because your name keeps coming up, you know, and I don't know the music world and, and our creative lives that, that we are all leading. It's so that's, I think that is, you asked me the question at the beginning of this, why do you do this? It's that. It's the fascination with the fact that it all does intertwine. You know, your your work with uh, John Oswald means a lot to me. Like that kind of, all of that, how it all commingles is really important. I feel there's deep meaning there, you know, in, in, um, yeah, and just speaking and learning from, uh, from our experiences ma- doing this weird thing, and you have done it in such a unique way. That's why I feel uh, really excited to speak with you about it and what you've learned, you know? Uh, where do you... 
I don't know. Did any of that, anything resonate there? There was a lot there. There wasn't really a question, sadly. So I'll, I'm going to breathe and uh, mute well, my microphone. Like, right. Your listeners could breathe too. <laughs> yeah. No kidding. No kidding. Let's take a breath here with Casey, Casey Sokol. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, what are some of your thoughts there? Wow. Yeah. It's different because speaking with you now with this limitation of one hour, it's not the same as hanging out over, yeah, you know, yeah. a bottle of scotch or right. Fuck that exactly, exactly to that. Yes, because yeah. dead air time is dead air time, and at the same time, I think a conversation often needs that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, if you ask me my thoughts, that means you're not going to talk for a couple of minutes, and I can. You, the, the floor is yours, sir. Let my, <laughs> I can let my mind go. <clears throat> There's so much to talk about. Um, <laughs> you know, I think, I mean, it, it feels like most of this talk is um, revolving around the teaching at York. Which uh, yeah. In some ways is fair because yeah. uh, I used to play an enormous number of concerts. Mm -hmm. I, I played two uh, improvised concerts with CCMC every week for years when we started the music gallery in 75 mm -hmm, mm -hmm. plus i had other improvised concerts plus i had concerts at york and i would run soirees at york which were very exciting but right, i was also right. playing at least one chamber music concert a week which meant learning a ton of music and um, so i played so much mm. and now i'm hardly playing at all which is my choice and so I'm looking back on all that teaching and I'm realizing I really enjoy that more than I thought. There's something very satisfying. It's a little bit like having children or passing something along, you know, transmitting the best of your thoughts, the best of your values and all that. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I wish, I wish Chopin <laughs> was alive because the more I read about him, I've been reading recently. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I found a book written by a student of my main teacher in New York, Leopold Mittman. And she reminded me that Mittman's main teacher <clears throat> was, uh, his main teacher was, I'm, I'm, I'm blanking on names now for a moment. Uh, how am I blanking on names? I think it's because I'm trying to see the spelling, but my teacher's teacher's teacher uh -huh. was Chopin. And I was reading about his trajectory too. He performed also for about 10 years. Okay. But okay. he didn't really like it. He was kind of shy, introverted. Interesting. Interesting. He didn't like, he liked, he preferred to playing, playing in a salon. And I thought, yeah, that's just how I am. That's just how my teacher kind of affected me, you know, that it became more about, the, the doing than the presenting. He was trying to push me on stage to do big competitions, and I did a couple of them, uh -huh. Uh -huh. but I hated it. Uh -huh. I, I, hated, I hated being in a big hall with yeah. uh, Harold Schoenberg, the critic of, music critic of the New York Times, being oh, the wow. only person in the middle of this gigantic sea of seats. Yeah, <laughs> and, yeah. That's horrible. It's, it's the same thing of uh, the, the recital in a lot of ways. Is let, allow me to judge you. Yes, yes. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, yeah. So I'm just realizing now. Wow. You know that the the 
the ethos of of Chopin is actually has come through in some fundamental way, not just in my fingering, which I got from my teacher, which he got right. from his teacher. Right, right. And attitude towards everything, trills, you know, ornaments, form, uh-huh. Uh-huh. dynamics, especially pedaling and articulation. Uh-huh. So anyway, I don't feel so badly about the fact that I never satisfied my teacher's desire to have me be a performer. Right. Because right. he didn't want to be a performer either. <laughs> right. So, okay. Interesting. And um, interesting that 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 passes down in a way, right? Like it's it re- it really does. Fascinating? Yeah. And it's not yeah. something that needs to be talked about. I mean, my teacher asked me to improvise one day because he, he understood that that's also what I did. So I improvised for him. He's like an Austrian master. I mean, he was like a very okay. serious guy. Yeah. And he said, "That's really good." He said, oh, wow. you could become an improviser, but not if you pursue classical music. But you could also be a classical music pianist, touring and all that, and recording, yeah. but not keep improvising. You have to, you should decide. Okay. And okay. that was my first moment of becoming a grown-up because I realized, I said to him, I don't want to decide. I don't want to be the greatest this or that. I just want to have a good life. There you I go. just want to do the music I want to do. And I, I kind of feel like you, yeah, like of, of both of those paths, it's like that's in you, right? It's like, and and good for you for knowing that. Uh, did that come early, knowing that you wanted to, like, just kind of being on the path that you you were on? It seems like you had it kind of figured out. Yeah, more or less. Uh, I, uh, my teacher, my neighborhood teacher, who was just an amazing guy, I wrote about him on the website too, mm-hmm. because he had the cleverest ways of engaging students, and especially me, I guess. And I stayed with him till 12. And then I think, and he sent me to his teacher. And I think uh, I was with that guy for two years. So I must have been 14, maybe 15, okay. when it dawned on me that. I don't want to be a special anybody. I just yeah. want to enjoy my life and have a good, rich musical life. There you go. I never, ever thought about being a professional musician. Huh. Even when I was make, right. making money and playing for okay. CBC, you know, <laughs> right. I didn't think of myself as a professional musician, except by dint of the fact that I was getting paid for it. Okay. But I never identified like, oh, that's that's my thing. I'm a professional musician. I love it. I, I love how it's, that sounds very humble to me. Um, I love how, you know, I'm still, I'm still uh, ruminating on the whole, my teacher's teacher's teacher was Chopin. It's like, not everyone's saying that. I feel like what you're like a node in the, there's this musical universe out there. You are a, a, a big connecting star in the middle of all of it i really feel like that's how i see you even within the hundred and some odd almost 140 interviews that that populate this podcast experiment thing that i'm doing it's i you definitely are you know the venn diagram it, it runs deep with you um how how do you treat community in your work like the, do you do, do do you get excited by all these connections? <laughs> wow, what a great question. It's a great well, question. I mean, it runs yeah. all the way to Chopin. Like, how can you not get excited about that? It's just fascinating to me, you know? Yeah, except I'm also a bit of a loner. 
So fine, fine, fine. Yeah, great. You're allowed. Like Chopin, actually, right? yeah, Chopin, yeah, right, exactly. He, he preferred to just teach his students, and and um, uh-huh, uh-huh. so I mean, I'm 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 very proud of the fact. Good that I, I my work has intersected and affected and been transmitted in all kinds of ways to so many talented people mm-hmm. and also to so many untalented people. For example, what I mean by that is I used to run something every year called career day. My okay. department agreed to let me just invite people and I invite, if I could, the same number of men and women, same number from the seventies, from the eighties, from the nineties, you know, to represent as much as I knew about the department. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I'd always make sure that I'd have some people who were music copyists or or chamber musicians or recording engineers or, you know, so that different jobs would be represented for the students who were going to listen okay. to this panel. Okay. So there'd be a panel of, you know, a dozen or more. But I'd always invite at least one person who was not a musician, who was yeah, not yeah. being paid, yeah. because I wanted people to say, no, you can be happy and be proud of your education. You don't have to make money right. to justify your That's music. That's a good education. point. It just changes you the way it's you a great function. Point. It's, a, it's a great point, right? So many ways to skin this thing, to do this thing, right? And you're, you're hitting it on the head there, you know? Yeah, well, you must feel the same way about your teaching too, right? I, 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 I mean, I, I see it all as part of the same uh, love of music it's just you're seeing it from different angles, different perspectives, right? And and I feel like you wear many hats in what you do, and that I can relate to that. I think that that's part of the whole is is looking at it from those different angles. For sure, I'm flexing a different muscle when I'm I'm out in the square with my mechanical organ doing that thing than when you know uh, I'm running a workshop on how to build a musical instrument or something like that, right? It's, it's just a different um, gear, uh, but yeah. it's all driving. It's all it's all part of the same thing. Um, wow. Well, it's it's beautiful what you do. I wonder now in your you mentioned kind of being a loner and and thinking that that um, I guess you you. Uh, you really know what you want. You know what you like. You know what you dislike. As, as you know, ha- having done it for for as long as you have, where do you want to focus your energy now? Where do you want to go with with what you do? And and what's getting you really excited about like the musical journey these days? Um. Well, I had I had more or less turned, not turned my back on performance, but I kind of had turned away from it the last few years. Mm-hmm. And what what's keeping it alive, I mean, that Guelph performance, mm-hmm. it wasn't stellar, but it was really interesting for me to play a piano that I really didn't like. Mm-hmm. I played it the day before to see what it was like. And I thought, oh, fuck, there's nothing musical about this piano. It's not even a good prepared piano. Okay, okay. And so it was wonderful to play it because I had no prior enthusiasm for it. So I approached it the way I often have to approach a free improvisation concert, which is hit a note. What does that sound like? Yeah, yeah. What what is that? So that got me, uh, that really awakened 
but renewed a, a feeling that um, performance is, is really um, an important part of a musician's life. Right. If you right. have the, you know, and I thought, yes, it's uncomfortable. I don't really like it, but uh-huh. I do it. I play with a group on Monday nights. And is that right? And that is so amazing. Who, 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 if, if I might ask? Who, well, who right now, with? I've been playing with uh, Ed Epstein, who is the, the owner of that. Gallery 345. Yes, you know Ed. Yes. Al Mattis, who nobody knows, but he okay. was the president of the music gallery. Ah. He's the one who really set it up, along with Peter Anson. He was okay. a member of CCMC. Okay. And Bob Vespasiani, who's, who plays digital drums. Oh, wow. So wow. Ed Epstein plays sax and clarinets. And so there's bass and and percussion. Um, so it just got me going again. So I got oh. on the I got online and I called Cheryl Okrant and I said, "You want to play?" And oh, I called Eva Goyan and I said, "Let's play." And you great. Know, and now great. I'm going to call you and I said, "Let's." Play. I I I would I would be delighted. I honestly I think it's so. I, you're right. It's you know I'm going to say. Um, the Nihilist Spasm Band really inspired yeah. me. And I interviewed them. I did a, a feature yes, on them saw, as right. part of the podcast. And every Monday night, for me, that's, I mean, I don't go to church. I don't go to, you know, I'm not a religious human. Uh, that, for me, is 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 the act, the ritual of every Monday night. So the minute you said you're doing the Monday night, I, and, and just from... CCMC and 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 doing that and and running through. I thought, wow, I wonder if he misses it. And it's nice to hear that. I mean, we've all been through something with this pandemic, but uh, it's nice to hear that you're going back to that and um, you know, renewed with with a with nothing else. You know, it's just there's. It's, I don't know, no strings on it. You know, attached. It's just that you want to keep doing that. That's. Even if you're not, you know, you, you mentioned being di- uncomfortable with it. I like that. I, I like the fact well, that... Well, when there's no audience, I'm not uncomfortable. When, when there's, when, let me, uh, when there's no audience, you're not uncomfortable. Okay. Yeah, I, I don't, I, I don't know. It's a funny thing. And I, I've heard so many people, so many of my colleagues say, okay. you know, you don't want to disappoint an audience. Mm. You don't want them to have a high expectation and then... And then it falls. Not, not, it's not only ego. It's like, you know, if I say I'm going to play a concert Thursday night, eight o'clock. Mm-hmm. So they give up. They're not taking care of their kids. Or they, they right, you know, right. they give up an evening and then they right. come and like, was <laughs> it? What have I done? <laughs> was it worth it? No. Like, yeah. yeah. Like, like that's that, like that re- response meme, you know, was it good for you too? <laughs> right, 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 right. What have I done? Yeah. That's funny. That's really funny. So, um, because, you know, well, you talked about community. I mean, music is, communal music is one of the strongest manifestations of community. And uh, it's a communion of sorts, same there. word, really. Yeah. It's when five musicians or two musicians or eight musicians suddenly come together as one something, one, one group where everybody has a space to input. Mm-hmm. And everybody is realizing that they're creating something that they could never create on their own. Not only because you need the other instruments, but you need the other 
points of view. You need the other egos even. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I love that. Oh, that's nice. That's nice. Communion. I'm going to pick the low-hanging fruit here and say, and you get to eat a little bit of the body of Christ, right? I mean, that's <laughs> that tasty wafer. That's why we do it. Oh, sorry. Sorry, I couldn't help myself. I'm a little, I'm a nice Jewish boy. I don't know anything. (laughs) Pick the low-hanging Catholic fruit. Uh, Well, this has just been delightful. Um, I could talk to you all day. You are the node, as I said. I don't know, this this is really important for the podcast, to have Casey Sokol on, um, ruminating on on his career, and and a rich career at that. I I just feel really lucky to... uh, to get to spend some time with you and learn from you. Um, one last, before we go, one last um, golden nugget for a kid who's thinking about be- getting into a musical life. Uh, what would you impart on, on them if, if you had five minutes to, to, to share like your, 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 your best advice? What would you tell them? Well, it would be better to play with the kid <laughs> than, than, oh, than give, shit. Him some, give him some words because the way people uh, metabolize words is up to, I mean, there are so many things that could derail mm. the meaning that is intended. But when you play music... Of course, people could take it differently, but the, but the sound is what it is. If I say, well, you don't play a note until you have a sense of love for the, you know, you, you, you really, really want to hear that sound. Or you could say, you could talk and talk and talk, but what do you mean love? What do you mean right, make right. a musical line? Uh, I just think you, you, you have to sit down with a kid and, and, uh, play something you know really could be really simple i'd love to see that as kind of like a prescription for you know like fuck the traditional methods of guidance counseling in high school today i love the idea of just sitting down and playing with a student or or a peer that's and there are a lot of ways to do it i used to do a lot of workshops for example at york university the uh, i would work with professional nurses in the nursing program oh yeah Every one of them is terrified to sing or play right. an instrument. Right. But there are certain instruments that you can play, like uh, what are those boom whackers? You know what those sure. are? Sure. Yeah. So you give each person a boom whacker, and it's easy to set up an exercise where people don't have to do much, but because everything else is happening either simultaneously or yeah. or in, you can All make sudden, great music, and they're people making are so music. excited. Right. 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 So I think music is for the making, not for the talking. And then there's uh, lots of things to talk about later on. Right, right. Oh, I love that. It's like I really sometimes wonder how does a how does a sex therapist work? Because if 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 you're really talking, that's not going to really do that much. But, but if you're, you can't make love to all of your. Uh, when you put it that way, I fully understand. Um, yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. Anyway, that's music that's is for the making, not the talking. I like that. As we've just talked through the last hour, right? Uh, this has been a delight. Um, yeah. Well, thanks for calling. That's really nice. Oh, to talk are you to kidding? You. Are you kidding? Thank you for uh, for 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 being into it. It, it means a lot. And uh, it's nice to go a little deeper with you and, and to get to know you. I really, really admire all that you, you are doing. Uh, so wish you well as uh, we get out of the pandemic and figure things out. Next next steps. Well, what, what's coming up for you? Do, do you, what does 2022 look like? What's your horizon? Uh, well, what's I, will on the horizon? The, I will have the website in much better shape. I will be then playing with a lot more people. So okay probably offering to allow people to listen to what we're doing. Okay. Uh, I had been, I had started to go to Beijing uh, at the invitation of uh, some music schools. Yes. And then actually the last time I was there is when the virus hit. Oh God. So I think when the virus calms down, I'll be invited back, but I have a plan wow. along with my uh, last PhD student who is Chinese Mm-hmm. to try to introduce creative music into China very carefully oh. because they're not all that interested. Okay. Okay. That's incredible. That's incredible. There's, um, there's, there's hardly a creative bone in, in, in students and teachers in China. So that feels that that's going to feel like an uphill climb, but, but probably, uh, but, but, but rich yeah, and but I'm not going to do right. it with the game of arm twisting. I'm just going right. to make right. it available, right? I see, I see. Wow. I started learning Mandarin, but it is a no. tough. No. It's tough. Yeah. I admire that, though. Good. Good on you. All right. Well, if you ever want to talk more, I'm, I'm, I'm game. This is awesome. Uh, go to dot squarespace.com for the new website or just go to caseysokal.com f- for the other website yeah to learn more if about you, if you go to the old website yeah. link to the thing called the grove there you go that's a kind of a demonstration of okay of continuity in free improvisation uh what what of your music do you want to end on we, we, we've already played pianos that have been altered. Let's give the listeners something completely different. What about like you and Eugene Chadburn? That's a beautiful recording. You have that disc? I, I've got that disc. I do have that disc. I can make that. I don't happen. have. <laughs> yeah, I don't have. It's okay. Yeah. Let, let's let's play something that. from that. We'll, we'll, we'll go out with some of that. Okay. And beautiful your stuff. choice. It's your choice. That, that I, I've made it. Okay, good. Be well, my friend. Thank you so much. Thanks, Richard. Thanks. Take care. Bye. Ciao. You too.
That was an excerpt from the 1977 recording featuring Casey Sokol and Eugene Chadburn. Thank you to the professor himself. That was uh, a real honor to have you on the podcast and um, very generous. So thank you for sharing. And if you need to learn more about um, prior guests on the podcast, dig in. As I said, I really like that idea that Casey ran by me of doing playlists kind of connecting the dots between a lot of these episodes go to friendlyrich.com to learn more about the podcast and thanks i see the listenership numbers going up so that's that's encouraging thank you for listening and supporting and we'll see you again next week on industry tactics here's a little ad welcoming you to the 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 boringville chronicles a new podcast that i've put out with my friend Corey mccallum and a new episode will drop tomorrow uh the henson suite uh, a really uh, an episode we're very proud of episode five drops tomorrow so please subscribe to that podcast as well find it wherever you find your podcasts it's called the boringville chronicles and here comes a short ad to take us out see you next week they say if you're bored, it's cause you're boring. Welcome to Boringville. Join us on a seven-part adventure. It's season one of the Boringville Chronicles, written and produced by Friendly Rich and Corey McCallum. Available now wherever you fetch your podcasts. Search for and subscribe to the Boringville Chronicles.